0: the students who are watching this, you have to realize you are a stakeholder, you are generating this document, you have a say if some rules are going to be changed.
1: I'm happy to welcome Dr. Vera Chan to my podcast today. She's a host of PhD Coffee Time, a YouTube channel offering motivation, peer support, and practical tips during your PhD. I gotta write me one of those intros soon. This is too good. She's a great science communicator and her channel has grown tremendously over the last year. In many ways due to her dedication, process-driven attitude, and a wealth of knowledge and experience as a PhD student and postdoc. We discuss her best videos, approach to making them, and what a scientist of the future will look like. Welcome to Biofilm Podcast thank you very much for joining me today. I'm very excited. I'm very excited to have you on my podcast for for many reasons. You know, you're a fellow YouTuber as well. Your channel is called PhD Coffee Time. By the way, I love this title. I do love coffee. And uh, I have to say that you've been scaling up quite well over the, last, over the last year. And congratulations to all of your recent growth.
0: Thank you very much. And I did prepare my coffee mug, although it's evening, I'm drinking water. But nice we can have a coffee che- conversation.
1: cheers to that this is my original uh, original logo as well it's courtesy of my best friend from russia
0: oh i love <laughs> so that
1: cheers so my first question to you and uh, it's a spin on my regular segment where i la- ask uh, uh, my uh, my guests about their movie or tv uh, recommendations since i like to start calling this video a co-video recommendation I'd like you to plug uh, the best video that you have on your YouTube channel right now and that you're the most proud of.
0: Hmm. I would say, yeah, the one that I got, well, the one that I got the most view is the postdoc one. But all, I feel like PhD, um, like your YouTube channel, when you're creating video, you always feel like an indie artist. Sometimes the, the videos that you're the most proud of don't get views as much. So if I choose one, I wouldn't choose the one with the most view. I actually feel the most proud of the no- uh, lab notebook taking uh, tips because I wish someone had taught me from day one how to write my lab notebook. And I genuinely hope since even now I'm no longer officially academia uh, person. Um, I love the video to help as many PhD out there to re- just have more organization and feel more confident about keeping a lab notebook. And maybe that will help science in a way. Mm-hmm. So I'm the most proud of that one.
1: Yeah, definitely. I can relate to the, to that because, again, I also wasn't taught which what's the best way to do the lab taking notes. It's It's yeah. very... I, it's dependent on lab to lab. It depends on the person as well. And if there are no requirements, it can be a, a, like a really challenging thing. I know I think you've done a video on on how to do it in OneNote. Um, uh, so that's something I personally used. And that was like a really, really great tool for me. But uh, do you, if you were to maybe pick between like OneNote and uh, Evernote or just sticking with um, hand, handwritten notes, like where would you see yourself? doing it if you had to redo it all over your PhD again? Not not that mm. you should. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's a good question. Uh, I have... I have to be fair to Evernote I have never tried them because I only have started with OneNote and it works fine and I'm a big believer if something is not broken let's not fix it so so I I am simplistic in that way that why that's why I chose OneNote and I do think the uh, organization is very self-explanatory like you have a notebook you have folders you have pages of pages And it's easy to just intuitively understand the organization. Mm -hmm. Um, I love the screen clipping features of OneNote. So nowadays, most of the time, I don't even write handwritten notes because I my handwriting is terrible, and I can't can tell. You can see my uh, French notebook that like all my handwriting is just not very good. So sometimes when you get you can get lost in organizing logically. Yeah. But if you have one note, if, if it's type uh, notes, you can organize it later on so you can have another level of um, engagement to the notes that you have made instead of just linear page by page. So I prefer digital notes a lot more than handwritten notes. With the disclaimer that I do know, handwriting is helps your brain to engage to the content so, I still encourage students to start writing. Uh, if it is a really tough topic, subject matters is tough. It's better to draw it out and write down the notes. So I would say they both is a cheat to say I, I don't have preference, but like, I think they, they have, they serve different purposes. And I think it depends on what you're trying to get out of.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, did you have a chance to use OneNote, like in like, draw anything in OneNote with a stylus? Because I think that would maybe bridge the gap between the, the two yeah. worlds, I suppose.
0: So OneNote 2020 did have an update on how they um, create, like, in the past, OneNote inking, in, uh, inking is the word, like, is the feature of inking is bad. <laughs> I, so I prefer to use GoodNote, which was another app that I use. And I use the stylus on, like, a, a note, my iPad. But... OneNote, the, the the complaint I have is it doesn't straighten your line automatically when you have like a triangle like and, and it doesn't make a triangle. But now they have fixed it and now OneNote can do that. But the problem is also stylus on computer. I don't have one. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I will have to imagine clicking on the mouse or it's not very um ergonomic with my, like using using OneNote itself. But I, I guess I could use my stylus on my iPad. but for some reason, I have been so used to the good notes on my iPad that I just haven't been using enough inking. Yeah, that's a good point.
1: I'm I'm always I was always concerned about uh, you know in the re- in 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 the laboratory just academic laboratory you you tend to just take your notes and organize them in whichever way you want versus in the industry typically like in a GMP environment or something like that. Mm-hmm. Or even an R and D environment, I would, I would imagine, it's very different process of note taking. Everything has to be tabulated, signed off, and 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 stuff like that. So I feel like there is not, there is a huge gap between, uh, between note taking skills that you acquire in your PhD versus anything that you would ever need to do in the industry. Like, what's the best way to maybe train the students on how to do that correctly and prepare them for what's to come in the industry?
0: Well. That's the question I was planning to ask you, Pavel, because you are in, you are in more of the tech side of industry. I'm not a writer, I no longer get in the lab. <laughs> so technically, I don't think I qualify well for this question to be answered. Um, that's a disclaimer. But I do know there are free applications that are like electronic lab notebook that can be used. Like I, mm-hmm. when I was making my lab notebook video, thanks that mm-hmm. we started uh, with that video idea, So when I was preparing that, I came across different free lab notebook platforms. And Mm -hmm. it looks like there are more and more tools that are available for PhD students to use. But again, the lab notebook is is down to the PI. You know, you can't create your own way of note-taking without the permission of your PI. So this is kind of like driven by how the lab leader wants the lab Mm -hmm. notebook to be kept. And I was just say like notes taking on one note could be more personal to me i think it's my it's like my way of remembering which paper to read uh, my way of remembering what reagent i'm going to make as a a to-do item to-do list but for a scientific notebook it has to be in agreement with your lab mate your team what is expected and be clear about what is expected from you so I can imagine the electronic notebook it will be authenticated by different P- the pi and the, the person the user would create like a page uh, per date and everything has to be locked after a certain time i would say i would think and then the other uh, authenticator would be signing off when they approve whatever is documented you yeah. can correct me if I uh, understood it properly.
1: No, I, mean, I think I think there is basically and elements of that are already integrated in many of those um, either free or paid, uh, LIMS services or just the electronic lab lab notebooks. And this is one of those features that I really really like. But I feel like if I ever had to do that in a PhD environment, I would I would not be very happy because it's like it requires so much more effort on a student's part to learn that, to implement that, to stick to that. But it is, in some ways, it is very important to skill to have because if you're not prepared, if you've never done something like this, you, it could be so overwhelming if you have to start a career in an R&D setting in an industry. So, I mean, that's maybe something to explore. I mean, I always had struggled with that thought, like, how would I ever do that? Fortunately, I don't have to worry about that. I don't have to have, like,
2: mm-hmm.
1: really any meaningful, like, lab notes other than just for my own personal work. Right. Uh, but uh, that's... that's a as far as like 21st century, there's many, many advances now with, with these types of technologies and how deeply they integrate with all other as, other aspects of, of laboratory management. So going back to the videos, you, you mentioned you have a postdoc video that obviously was one of the one of the biggest um, by 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 the number of views. But I'm curious to what was the inspiration for you to start a YouTube channel. Mm. And uh, as maybe a little bit, even a step back, what was the scientific background that you had that sort of made you feel like, okay, now I want to share what I've learned with with others?
0: Well, thank you so much for asking that question. Um, Since as a YouTuber, you're not allowed to explain yourself. Otherwise, people would click away from your video. So I'm waiting for my moment. Someone asked me. So thank you (laughs) for asking me that question. So it's called PhD coffee time. Uh, There there were two elements uh, that come in play is the coffee time, the break, because I do want more PhD to start seeking a balance in the day because um, most of us starting a PhD studies and postdoc research, we are just so, I, I think, overly intensive working has been glamorized and the break in between is not really well celebrated so i felt like coffee time is a concept that i hope that i can help encourage more people to take and then for me i'm from hong kong hong kong has the is a city that we are so hard working is famous for its long working hour like i think on average people in hong kong work 55 hours per week and we don't have overtime payment uh, yeah. And that's an average number. So I, I felt like sometimes even as a Hong Konger, I feel not very, I don't feel very open to taking a break. And I wish if I have a break, I can learn something productively. <laughs> so that was that was the idea of uh, insanely trying to fit like a practical tips idea into coffee breaks, And when people can catch a break, they can feel productive about that day and also catch a break, you know, like watch a video. They sit there and not think about research for 15 minutes.
1: Wow. I I just realized my, my biggest miscalculation, I didn't figure out when the students will actually want to watch the videos, because I think we have similar audiences. But mm-hmm. uh, but I think you went a step further and like, OK, you want to go after them when they when they have their free time, So you, which is yeah. great. I think that's, that's very smart play. But let's say what was the inspiration for you? Because, I mean, we all have the experiences as PhD students, like our fair share of struggles, successes yeah. and stuff. But how did you feel about first starting to share what, what you have learned mm-hmm. with, with others? Like what was the spark that sort of ignited the, oh, yeah. the passion, if you will?
0: Sure, definitely. The coffee was just a structure, right? And the content itself, it, it comes from Clemson when I was in university, uh, postdoc when in my last university in U.S. There was a good graduate school program that they teaches professional development workshops. And I was a big fan of it. And I go every week and every week we learn like project management, setting smart goals and everything like peer support group. If you are um, international, like you may need to um, like actively think about different aspects of your research in a different light. And I kind of call them like a yoga session of your research. You know, like until you go to a yoga studio, you don't feel like you have all this muscle like. not stretching well, you know, until the yoga teacher put you in in those uh position and you realize, oh gosh, I really needed this stretch. And I felt like those workshops were professional development because like PhD, like you said, we don't spend enough time thinking about how we do the work. We don't have enough space and time to process every little details, like how to keep a spreadsheet, how to research properly we have all these deadlines that we try to graduate on time we, and, and there's endless list of literature reading and writing. So it almost feels like learning how to manage a project, learning Gantt charts, uh, setting smart goals, or even simply uh, keeping an Excel sheet or using PowerPoint and Word properly. You know, Those are the skills that you only learn how much time it saves you. Uh, by the moment you realize what you have done wrong, you know, and, and yeah. most, of, most of the time I, when I was building a figure, for example, back in Clemson, I used PowerPoint to make a figure and it's, it's really not designed to do the work. And the moment someone taught me Adobe Illustrator, and now I use Inkscape because I no longer have the license. Mm-hmm. Adobe is welcome to sponsor me, by the way, if they, <laughs> I have no more license, but yeah. uh, Illustrator is great. Uh, and what happened was when the moment I transitioned between the software, I saved maybe a week of time because I, I use PowerPoint and I created a little object and tried to create a little flask, little test tube. By the time you create like 200 objects on PowerPoint, it slows and freezes. Uh, I don't know if you have tried that, but PowerPoint is not made for that.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, the moment I've learned to change that, like effort into the right software and mm-hmm. use it in the right way, I, u- I can create a poster for a conference in one hour.
1: Mm-hmm. And, to be honest, yeah. I, did, I, did a, I did make a poster in a PowerPoint yeah. just because in some way it was easier, but I do completely understand mm-hmm. the, the hassle that it is to try yeah. and make even the simplest of figures in, in PowerPoint. Right. Right. and uh, fr- from scratch and that's yeah. the asset uh, the asset manipulation in in adobe illustrator is definitely i fortunately learned earlier on because i've i've, I've seen that in order for me to access all the previous figures for, for our laboratory it was all in uh, illustrator um mm-hmm. uh, projects so i was like well i yeah. i have to use it now so it's interesting you say like it's it took you like a so much time to get to the point of getting to uh, to use illustrator through all the hassle of learning with powerpoint and it's really important to share it with people because i do believe in this sort of core concept of knowledge is power and uh, knowledge is is so vital because it, it it really accelerates so much of our lives but now that you say that so what was the first um Let's say the moment where you're like, okay, now I want to do a YouTube video. What, what, I mean, because I feel for every YouTuber, there is a defining moment where it's like, I can no longer sit by, I have to put a camera and start mm. doing that.
0: Yeah, well, I so the context is I have been away from my family and friends from Hong Kong since six years ago. So ever since I come to the United States, I have already started thinking about starting something on YouTube. But I it took a long time to realize what I wanted to say. And because in U.S., everyone spoke in English and I have many friends. So a lot of time I don't get to get the time and space to do the work that I felt like is important to do. But until in France, because everyone spoke in French and at work, I don't get essentially, ironically, not all the coffee breaks, they were speaking in English and my French were just too little to understand everyone. And I, it's not a personal attack. I think people who are native French speakers, they feel more relaxed when they speak in French. But in the same time, I am, so I, I miss the connection with people. And when I started PhD Coffee Time, it was 2020. Um, I started already maybe one and a half year um, as postdoc, one year almost as postdoc. And my contract is supposed to finish in a few months. And at the time I felt like, first of all, I'm a new year resolution person. I like making new goals every year. And last year, 2020, my goal was to make one video a week and mm-hmm. be consistent about it and post once a week without overthinking and that was my goal to myself and and i'm not trying to prove to even like my audience anything like i that was just a stubborn goal i have when people ask me to have dinner i say no no i'm not joining because i need to make this video wow <laughs> so that's yeah um, how
1: many friends did you lose as a result of that
0: yeah but with the <laughs> pandemic now i think yeah. i only have two cats left in my home <laughs> so <laughs> But um, I'm joking. But yeah, I've actually gained a lot of friends because of YouTube. Like meet people like you, people reaching out on LinkedIn, and also personally, I start I become more searchable on the internet. I think it's also helping me to find recruitment, like recruiters find you easier on LinkedIn, and you Mm -hmm. get maybe higher chance and advantage over application.
1: I assume you are about to take this a lot more seriously than you maybe yeah. have in the be- in the beginning. Like, did you see yourself having this kind of amazing growth over the last year? And um, the reason I'm asking this, I know you you took also like an MSL class uh, with uh, uh, with Martin Biker, who I'm actually also interviewed uh, previously. Yeah. Uh, and so where where did the switch maybe happen to you, or have not yet happened that you're like, okay, now I want to make maybe take this YouTube. A lot more seriously and become a youtuber versus just having like a just a regular like a writer job or some other job in the industry
0: well i first of all i don't think i don't know if i can call myself very serious on, (laughs) on this channel i um so i believe in one thing is i can't control the metrics Mm-hmm. Uh, and i don't have i don't have control who give a like who give the thumb down or whether or not people click open the video to watch it or whether people are offended by something and they unsubscribe or they share with a friend or not so these are the i am clear since phd i think i have gained the mental um resilience to not care <laughs> about mm-hmm. outcome in terms of metrics i can't i can't guarantee how much my paper is cited. I can't guarantee if my CV is going to be read by the recruiter. But I learned that I would never take things personally. Like, if even my channel to this day only have less than 1,000 subscribers, I would still be making videos. It wouldn't Mm -hmm. bother how I do my work. But I I do feel very uh, thankful and honored that there are audience that come to the channel and want to watch the content. Uh, One yeah. So I don't know if that answered the question is I, I'm not prepared to be like a full-time YouTuber making a living. Um, it's mm-hmm. not that much money. I, I can share more with you offline, but yeah, it's no, like, sure. but um, I, I do care. What I do care is about how my time and energy has been scaled up. Mm-hmm. So say for example, I am now a YouTuber because of like technically I am monetizing. Mm-hmm. I have more than 4,000 view a year. I have more than 1,000 subscriber, And that's the benchmark for being a YouTuber, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and what I care more is how, so every video, 15 minutes, it takes me about seven hours to edit, <laughs> seven to eight. Some, mm-hmm. some of them, if they're longer, it can be 10 hours. And now up to this day, I have 55 videos as the time we are speaking. Mm-hmm. And I have gained about 5,000 something hour of views. So what that tells me is my effort of spending about eight to 10 hour per video is scaling 10 times more f- effect. You know, I could I would have used that hour to talk to every one of you guys in person, talking about Gensha, talking about how to make a lab notebook until I run out of energy. I need to do this. 10 times more mm-hmm. to, to, to make the same impact. And I think what I care the more is how this energy is scaling and how this is impacting in a positive manner, how this is bringing someone's day, like making that day a little better. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I've been there as PhD, um, sometime if you have a problem, you want to Google and find an answer. So oh. I my dream is that I can provide some kind of answer to that Google search.
2: Mm-hmm. Maybe
0: they found a video because they, they searched something about Image J and they found my video and they found, oh my gosh, she answered every question. And guess what? I'm also answering the emails and comments. So that, I think that feeling of support is something I wish I had. So mm-hmm. that was the motivation. Um, yeah, so I, I, didn't, I did have a goal that I wish I gained 1,000 subscribers by the end of last year. Mm -hmm. Uh, which has been reached by October. So I I was, then I, yeah, I don't really have a big metrics on when, how big I can grow because by default, PhD is a small community. It's Mm -hmm. not very realistic to think about the YouTube channel in the same way as other YouTube channel that has like cooking video, cat video, (laughs) you know, you can get a lot more views uh, with that. But I do believe that, um, well, I deliberately want to be keeping a niche topic because, first of all, I don't want to get world famous. <laughs> I do like privacy. I do like to um, have, yeah, like I do like to not get recognized by people. Yeah. And so yeah, that, so that that's the feeling I have. I don't know if this is a strange answer to your question.
1: <laughs> no, no, that's a absolutely absolutely fair answer, and uh, it's it sounds like it's a very humble humble purpose of support and just sort of giving back to the to the community, giving back to the, the next generation of, of people who are indeed struggling. And especially last year, since I finished my Ph.D. in February last year, I, I felt very fortunate that I didn't have some some of those same struggles that other students in my cohort were, were facing, for example, that uncertainty um, I mean, there were other um, issues with finishing right before everything happened. like, like not being able to like have an, like, any clue whether or not there could, will be any jobs, you know that's that's another mm-hmm. thing. But I, I feel like having support having had support from um, uh, f- throughout the years of being able to rely on uh, other, other people for advice or from some kind of experience is very important. So I think what you're doing is actually, really helping and that's that's reflected in the metrics that you're mentioning it's it's quite it's quite amazing so i do want to ask you though uh the uh, the topics that you that you take for your for your videos uh are they mostly from your own mistakes or some kind of experience or are you actually you also now starting to tap into the experiences that you might have heard of but you had not had direct let's say experience with
0: uh, so far the last year of video they were all my own mistake because <laughs> yeah. there was countless of them and mm-hmm. if, it, if I have to pace myself one video a week and I can only have 52 mistakes and I have six years of postdoc plus four years of PhD. So I'm still counting my own mistakes. So I haven't quite got there yet to listen mm-hmm. to my audience and try to gain insight. But for sure, um, I, I know what uh, the point was, the topic sometimes um, to st- step back one time is there are videos that I refer to questions that were mailed to me. They ask about like how, how, how would I address those questions. Like one, one was from a friend of mine who has two PhD offers and wanted to know which one should choose. I had a three-hour phone call with that person, and I explained how I would have chosen it. Then mm. I made that video 15 minutes long, and I put it on my channel. And I wouldn't say that was my own because I only have one offer, but like, actually, no, I did have two offers. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, but then I, I told him at the time, I how did how would I choose? Like uh, you will search what is the topic that you like to work on and kind of have a matrix of web of science and try to know if that professor is relevant to what you do, have a sense of the culture of the lab. So those are the... Those are the borrowed ideas, but mostly mm-hmm. I would say they are my own. Um, I have a like 30 list, like 30 videos idea starting even January. So I mm-hmm. have like all these thoughts that I have come across and I wanted to document them. And I sometimes they are very too small of an audience to gain views. Like I have a mentorship videos about how you could mentor a student as a PhD because we all have imposter syndrome, and it took me a long time to realize how I can become a better mentor and how to motivate students. But that one doesn't get viewed a lot because most PhD are too busy doing their own work. <laughs> hey,
1: yeah. I, I, I understand that it's, it's very difficult to also condense the experience that you have into, into a video, because I do get also asked about my transition to, to the industry position. And just in general experience on linkedin or with resumes and i do have uh occasional conversations with some of my peers or or some of the earlier younger students where i would you know also have like a zoom session with them or something where i would discuss that with them but uh and i also had exercised the idea of making the same kinds of videos that you're making but in some ways i felt it's very difficult to condense all that information to let's say like a 10-minute video describing mm-hmm. all of those bullet points like can you lift the curtain a little bit and sort of describe your thought process of not just selecting the the topic mm-hmm. but also how do you break down the structure of your video to make the most impact and the, mm-hmm. to, to make it the most um sort of dense when it comes to advice
0: right that's a great question because I, I do by learning because sometimes when I record myself and I put on makeup and like dress up and comb my hair, you know, like, and then after you recorded two weeks later, you are editing the video and you forgot that you have a point that you have not spoken about. Mm-hmm. So what do you do? You know, like, and, and the video is not complete. So one trick I would give is you are allowed to make a video uh, out of PowerPoint slides and make it like a movie. So that's mm-hmm. what I've been doing for a lot of videos. It's not that I'm good at animation, it's just I forgot to talk about it when I was recording myself. <laughs> and, and I just wanted to complete the idea um, later on. So you are allowed because when um, video is just, the concept of a video is just having some kind of visuals and some kind of audio. Mm-hmm. You can even have a slideshow and you talk about a photo, and that's mm-hmm. also a video. So you're not constrained to the mindset of showing up and speaking directly to the camera and, you know, all that uh, conventional video making. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, so that, that's my tip. Uh, and always having bullet points. I When I talk about a topic, I always would have, I don't have script, so I always have bullet points on note, mm-hmm. And I would just look at, uh, each point and i will record myself for one to two minutes a, a for each bullet point mm-hmm. and then i put them back together and i added out all, all the mm, and uh, uh, and like all this hesitation um yeah that become each video so i i can't do the video speaking level that i was doing in the video in real person which mm-hmm. i hope this is not a uh disappointment to my viewer
1: but it's- <laughs> i know i understand i completely understand the the process of uh, trying to record something from the bullet points having done at least a few of them on in the draft form i realized i'm so bad at this even with bullet points that i would need to have a teleprompter so like uh, i've 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 had a have had to save extra money to 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 put in and invest in a teleprompter so if I ever do some kind of videos where I just directly talk to camera, it's you know, it's it's, it's just as simple as using a teleprompter because it does achieve the same the same uh, purpose. But I feel like going back and forth of like recording everything and then uh, having to go back and re- trim all the all the fat, if you will, is <laughs> such a tedious work. So I, I applaud you for your uh, for your dedication to the craft. It does take. It does take an effort. And I think yeah. a lot of people may or may not realize that behind as you just said, behind a ten minute video, there's a seven hour work that is involved in that. Right. Potentially potentially more. And and years of actual experience that then gets distilled down into this into this nice little package that people other people get to enjoy and just take it in and and, and you know really use in their life.
0: Well, thank you. I hope they find it as an enjoyment but not a torture, because like sometimes I I'm bored of my own speaking when I was editing my videos, but I do know those are important points. So there was actually a a viewer that told me she was binge watching my video and I said to her, I'm so sorry. (laughs) Like, I don't know what I have done to you. (laughs) Please go and, you know, watch some catch video and balance your mind out. Like, I think.
1: that's a very long coffee break
0: (laughs) i know like and and i think the best way to take uh my videos idea is to just take one day at a time and because i think most of the work is not watching the video is is to have yourself reflection and Mm -hmm. to put a new goal and new action item for the rest of the week so I, that's why I don't put more than one video a week because I do want p- people who actually watch the video if they are in PhD time um, like work student studies. I do want them to just take a step back and what I have learned, write it down, and try to do ex- like execute how they can improve their PhD by doing something instead of just sitting passively and watch. Mm-hmm. So yeah.
1: I, Are you planning I, on, on writing a book out of all of that? Because I feel like that's the next logical step. But like at some point, the amount of videos and tips you you reach will reach a certain critical point where it's like, okay, now I can I have enough material for like a uh, you no, know like a, I, a book or a guide. <laughs> because I mean, you're also a writer as well.
0: I am a writer. That's why I think I'm not paid enough to do more work. <laughs> you know, um, my day. I, I can share more about my day is as a writer. I do a lot of typing during mm-hmm. the day. So at my lunchtime, I sit uh, on the side and I just uh, edit videos for my mm-hmm. break. Mm-hmm. So that's my mental, like, segregation from work and life. And editing video is something I feel less stressful. Writing, it requires more attention to details and yeah, so I, I felt like I also, but I think it's maybe better for people, for audience who like prefer to read. So that could be in the future equation, but for now, I really don't have a plan on that. I did have an idea before that I can make a board game, like oh, or
1: wow. for like That's interesting.
0: Like every every, you know, what matter is not what I talk about in those videos. What matter is those topics of videos are important. Like whatever they agree about logbook writing, whatever they agree on game charts and time management, whatever, however I do it, Vera do it. It's not the golden equation. Is There is no one way of doing the best PhD. But what I wanted to do is maybe the group of team members will watch the video and they will discuss those topics as per what they think is the best. Because when I was postdoc, everyone's smarter than Vera. Like yeah, everyone yeah, yeah. Technically, <laughs> nobody is less smart as me. So I of course right. So I, I felt like maybe that could be a board game that people roll a dice and they watch one of the random video and then they have to talk about it and then summarize how they would improve that week. I think that would be my dream.
1: Mm-hmm. It's it's interesting you mentioned the idea of 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 a community sort of watching of the videos or at least at the very least listening to the topics and discussing it amongst themselves. This it just popped into my mind. Are you aware of this platform called Clubhouse by any chance?
0: Yeah, I heard of it, but I still haven't.
1: <laughs> I mean, I, I, I can send you an invite. Frankly, I haven't really been on it too much. But one of the interesting things about it is this sort of uh, experience of uh, it's like a panel discussion where you have multiple, multiple users discussing certain topics and you have an audience. And it, it 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 struck me as a some uh, type of alternative to what a YouTube video can offer, which is um, which is a way to not just have a monologue of a person giving their own opinion, but have a more of a discussion with a broader audience. And it and it seems to me like, what are your thoughts on that? Like, is this something that you would maybe want to do instead of like, as you said, you have a, your own perspective on things, but you would much rather have it as a dialogue?
0: Mm. Yeah, I certainly prefer not only one way of dissemination uh, but have exchanges but as a, as a social media person so far I would I don't know if I should identify myself as one but I use social media enough to care about our um, outcome. like mm-hmm. what is the, what is the engagement score for example? Mm-hmm. like if I have one YouTube video and I can reach 1,000 people in a month, for example, mm-hmm. And Clubhouse, I'm not sure how many people will be engaged. And, mm-hmm. and we all know we are all social media, um, how to say, what is that word? Uh, we're kind of fatigued from social media oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So i So I am, I am a grandma, so are you asking the wrong person? I, <laughs> I see. think, I, I think uh, another practical practicality is my phone doesn't have data so Mm -hmm. i i can only come home and use my wi-fi and with my tired um body (laughs) and try to come come up with things to write on social media to just engage the videos so far Mm -hmm. that i have but like with clubhouse i would imagine is like i it would be more level of commitment of time and energy so i care about how much um, effect that it is this bringing, because mm-hmm. for sure, if there are more people there, then yes, I will be there. But like mm-hmm. sometime I felt like even even an Instagram post doesn't get like, I don't know, more than 100 likes, you know, and there, there is a conversion rate into yeah. how much impact you are putting energy out and how much return you are getting. Yeah. And I'm not a CEO, but like, I think we all have to think about return of in uh, a return on the investment. Sometimes you invest and yeah. time is limited. So so that's a boring answer to the interesting question again. I'm so no, <laughs> so no, sorry I,
1: I, No, I think it's it's fascinating because it, I, I I start to sense the recurring theme with you, which is you're really leveraging a sort of scientific mentality when you talk about YouTube. And that's actually was one of the questions that I that I wanted to ask you point blank, but you already kind of answered it, which is What's the sort of the skill that you have from that you take from your scientific background that you use using in, in your YouTube career. And it seems to me that you're, you're taking these sort of numbers, which are, they're very relevant, but maybe tend to get overlooked. At least I would say I would, I'm a little bit guilty, guilty of overlooking some of that because obviously I don't have nearly as many numbers to look at and draw any kind of conclusion, but your point on return of investments, time spent, how many users tend to watch the videos and so on and so forth actually tells me that you are very serious about and very mindful, I would say, about about these types of metrics. And uh, you're spending your time a lot wisely than perhaps maybe I do at at this point. So I'm actually learning quite a lot f- from you at this at this very moment.
0: I'd love to share more offline as well if you want. But um, I I like to say one thing is um, if if you see any of the earlier time management video. I, I do believe uh, because of PhD, you have to be very uh, efficient in whatever you choose to do. You have to choose the right time to do the right work. Like I am religiously spending only the morning writing and I don't, uh, uh, if there are students trying to make an appointment, I will at least have them at like 10 a.m. So I have two, two hours in the morning to write. And I think the same way is when I do anything, I start to, I init- I would immediately start questioning uh, is am I the best person to do that work and am I am I going to be efficient and good at it? And mm-hmm. yeah, and also maybe the background is I am endemic so I have not as much energy as other people like I get tired easily. So <laughs> I have to learn and strategize how I spend energy mm-hmm. on and try not to get overwhelmed and distracted as well. Mm-hmm. so, I mean, I'm not saying no to Clubhouse. I will check it out and get excited about it. But like, I'm not sure. Like I started a Facebook group and I don't know whoever signed up for PhD Coffee Time private group. I feel sorry because I have, I I know I don't have enough energy to manage all of this platform. So there are less than a hundred people in the group and I wish that they would talk to each other organically. So if you're watching and you are in that group, please talk to each other and- you know yeah. i am I'm, I'm i'm not getting um like I, i'm not trying to sell them something i'm not using the platform to do anything for my own good so i think that we yeah it's it is very difficult to just spend all the energy to man- manage every every single platform and I, i've learned I, that
1: i completely agree with that it's 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 really um, this this last year it really showed all of us not just scientists, but all the people that social media takes up so much of our time and uh, the amount of content that is available for consumption yeah. is higher than ever before and it just keeps growing. So uh, what do you think is um, the best way to manage all that content from, like how do you manage the, the content that you receive, but also as a creator of content yourself? does that sort of inform your decision-making process of like how to, when to make the video, what topics to select for? And uh, like, how do you break through the noise in that regard?
0: Yeah, there are, I mean, I do read Twitters. Like I do, I do follow tweets a lot because they Mm -hmm. are the most efficient way to gain the most information in a short time. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I would say a lot of time people can also DM, they message to me and I feel I, so one thing is I'm not extroverted. I don't know if you now can sense, although I talk a lot, but I am, I gain energy by being by myself and alone. Mm -hmm. So to gain my um, sanity, I have to unplug like a lot of time. I have to unplug. So I schedule time, maybe uh, by the end of the day, I, I go to, like social media for like half an hour and that would be it for me
2: Mm -hmm.
0: and sometimes it's not a good idea because when someone's having a follow friday and they tag me and then i only discover 23 hours later the next day when i go in you know that's that's a pros and cons but i've chosen the way to live the life of not getting distracted by social media because i know how time can can be disappearing and Mm i am also doing not Sim, like my, my way of disseminating content is YouTube, which is mm-hmm. the most time demanding one. Like it's mm-hmm. not like write, reading, write, writing a blog maybe slightly easier, like if it is less words, like comparatively, you probably don't need seven hours to write 500 words, right? So <laughs> I think my, my investment is huge. So yeah, so I have been strategizing dedicated time, um, and if someone don't tag me, most likely I don't see it. Yeah. <laughs> so, that's, yeah. so that's the way. If you want to post anything about me, tag me um, on mm-hmm. the social media. I will mm-hmm. reply and I will see asynchronously, but not mm-hmm. like, not immediately. But yeah, um, that, that's my strategy, is to not worry about being re- replying right away.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... Uh, okay. Mm-hmm. I, as, I'm also interested in sort of this blue sky... Uh, mindset when it comes to the, the technology overall and, and how it pertains to science in general. So we just talked about the social media aspect of it, but there is a slew, an onslaught of so many different technologies that permeate scientific experiences overall. And it it will undoubtedly change the way that science is done. And uh, the image of a scientist in a five to 10 year time will look completely different from when you and myself have done PhD. And just sort of in the in the sort of conclusion of maybe our, our podcast, I was interested in, in, in maybe your take on the tips that you're sharing and the image of a scientist that you want to see oh in the next five to ten years. Like what is the what is an ideal scientist look like to you? How do they use the technology that is available to them?
0: This is a good one. <laughs> I I think in right now, science wait, wait oh, scientists is hired by the public right so yeah. our funding and our positions the resources that we have as scientists like we if we or however much we feel we are disconnected from the rest of the world and we have a prestigious position to be this is all generated from public donation like taxpayer money public funding mm-hmm. so i think i would love to see the scientists being aware of it and trying to be more connected back to the society. Like Let's mm-hmm. come to the science communications part that I'm trying to say is when people are researching, a lot of time you only discuss what you have found after the paper is published. Mm-hmm. And now we started to maybe have one step backward that people are allowed to publish um, before, like the manuscript. Mm-hmm. Uh, before they are finally accepted, Mm -hmm. they can have a preprint to be published. But what I like to um, see is more uh, transparency in the communication of not only success, but also failure, but Mm -hmm. also process. Like you you can see my videos are very process driven and I am one, I might be too process driven to be a good scientist because I, I sometimes fail to have a first eye view of the problem because I'm too hung up by how to get my Excel sheet right or how I'm too hung up on how to get the technical part right. Mm-hmm. So, but I, um, in my, in my recent uh, career, I actually have published in Jove, which is like journal of visualized experiments. Oh. So that was like a protocol that we re- video recorded all this um, electron microscope and all these steps that we have to do so intricately in the lab. Mm-hmm. And they become like a, I don't know, five to seven minute video that another scientist from another country can see, and they can relate to, and they can know exactly how you handle the specimen. Mm-hmm. Um, Jove has a bad rap because it's not cited enough. Like it has one. I remember it was like the stock market plummeting after I submitted the the <laughs> the, the impact factor went down from one point four to one point one, and I don't I know see. even less and. And everyone thought I was, you know, in, in a sense, it could be a way that people would say, "I'm wasting my time as a young postdoc because it spent me it, it was spending six months of my energy uh, writing the screenplay and editing and like, yeah, submitting a video for communicating how we do something. Mm-hmm. But to me, we can't have a new generation of scientists if we don't properly document how things are done. Mm -hmm. and pi is so busy and when you get in the lab and things are not done exactly the way that was supposed to be done they got angry and their miscommunication and students get frustrated because they are not getting the result that they are supposed to have Mm -hmm. mental illness comes in play when well you don't get mental illness when your research work is working right so i think (laughs) what I think what's happening a lot of time is when students are not directed well enough in a transparent way mm-hmm. and they have a lot of like vague room of how they should do the research. And if they are not good time manager mm-hmm. and they are not good at managing expectation and delivering the result, they get miserable. Time can slide mm-hmm. by and PhD time is, you know, a it, it, it blink of an eye, you already spent seven years in, in the position and you still haven't graduated. And there yeah. are people like in such a situation just because of poor communication. And that's mm-hmm. why I am really passionate about documenting everything I can remember. You are also welcome to send me any clips that you think is important to submit to PhD COVID time with, mm-hmm. you know, we can feature your video. But like, you know, I'm serious about thinking this is a process, you know. Dialogue on how do you mount the specimen? On how mm-hmm. you know how did you analyze those image data? Mm-hmm. People don't have a. They, now we can, you know. The problem is we are not required, and nobody mm-hmm. has time and space to do it. I'm Absolutely. not sure this will happen in five to ten years, though, because of how academic re- uh, requirement is only narrower and narrower to metrics, and return on interest is uh, re- You know, is is a is a big expectation behind you know that they give you one million dollar funding they wanted like five papers and they don't care anything else
1: what i what i wanted to to piggyback off was exactly what you're saying when it comes to the, the the scientists of the future being relying on the let's say algorithms of how to do certain certain things because in in phd time i've i've also struggled with very poorly written protocols either in scientific papers or just in in the lab notebooks that i had to take a look at and definitely uh that's a that's something that's not going to change without really active effort on the part of academics on the part of just science life science community in the uh, overall and uh, it seems like this is the biggest gap between let's say biology biological sciences or and computer sciences because in computer sciences you could just load an algorithm that's how I like to think about it. And it would always work on any computer, regardless where it is in the world. But in right. science, if it, if you do not have a particular algorithm where you define all the variables, you're never going to be able to get the same result, or very unlikely. So coming back all the way to what we started talking about, which is, you know, one of your favorite videos is the lab taking notes. Do you feel like... We will eventually get there where the way that we take notes and the way that we design our experiments, as well as share the data in a transparent manner between each other all the way from conceptualizing idea all the way to the publication, is it going to change in our lifetime? When do you think is that shift will actually take place?
0: So let's come to the concept of how policies got made and how policies could be influenced by stakeholders. Mm -hmm. PhD students who are watching this, you have to realize you are a stakeholder, you are generating this document, you are going to be, you have a say if some rules are going to be changed. And what I love to see is more of us taking a proactive action to to document better in the lab. That's the basic that maybe we don't even need a policy change. But another thing you could do is to maybe, if you work in NIH and NSF, the biggest, if this video reaches a scientific program officer, they could start drafting, there is a requirement for all the funding receiving lab to document properly and they can send audit. Mm -hmm. You know, companies got audited all the time. Why doesn't scientific lab get audited?
1: Mm -hmm. You know? (laughs) Do you feel scientists or, let's say, PhD students themselves would welcome that, especially early on because they have they're under so much pressure or it just needs to be really maybe eased into this kind of really stringent environment and whether or not it actually stifles some kind of creativity and spontaneity of research?
0: Back in uh, France, actually, my lab did uh, have a systematic audit because of how big our institution is. I actually welcome that because it helps set the expectation on day one. Mm-hmm. You know, what's frustrating about audit is when people are not keeping a good standard and suddenly there is an audit and you become it become a nightmare. But I think when policy are ch- is changing, it's only going to educate people to keep the best practice and keep up with the best practice. And that's part of the training of science anyway, right? That's mm-hmm. the whole reason why you are here as a PhD student. Because if, if, you adult, if you don't care enough about keeping track of what you do in the lab, then maybe that person shouldn't be in science, right? Yes. That, might, that is my opinion. I might sound like a, a harsh professor and like who, who doesn't get a job as professor. But like, I, I genuinely think it, you know, it is a part of the training process. If they wanted a job in the industry in the future, they can talk about GMP and they can talk about keeping a good lab notebook and that make you stand out. And mm-hmm. if you are funded in one of those programs that require good practice of lab keeping, like protocol keeping, and you know, that's that is that is going to make you stand out. And I think it's a win-win situation when mm-hmm. when when instruction and expectations are clear, mm-hmm. then everyone benefits from it. And I think a PhD student has the least to say about this because sometimes they are in the situation of not knowing what is expected from them. And I think mm-hmm. that is, to me, not knowing what is expected is much more painful than having a high standard. I'd rather you give me the standard and I follow it.
1: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. <laughs> well, thank you so much Vera for, for taking the time to speak with me today. It was, it was an amazing experience listening to your tips i i hope more people reach your reach your uh, your channel and check it check it out i will definitely put it up in the video description below uh thank you very much again and uh, best of luck with uh, with reaching all the metrics that you set yourself set set your mind to <laughs>
0: Thank you very much and I, have, I would love to have you back uh, on PhD Coffee Time and share a coffee with you and I'm, I'm sure my audience would love to learn more about your platform and all the resources that you put out there.
1: Thank you very much.